What's up, my miners of intelligence and consciousness? I'm Rick Brooks, and this is Rick's Mind. Today with me, I have guest Connor Labenstein from Golf Therapy. What's going on, man? Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to dive into Rick's Mind. Dude, you don't want to be here. It's a terrible, terrifying place, subject to depression. No, I'm just kidding. Not all the time. Not all the time. Sometimes uh, we do have bummer casts. But dude, I wanted to, we kind of got connected um, from a a really dear friend of mine who went to the LPGA tour. And she's like, you know, you should talk to this guy named Connor. He's got this podcast called Golf Therapy, and I instantly was like, "What the fuck is Golf Therapy? Like, what? What? <laughs> how? First, yeah, what? Tell me all about it, dude, because I know nothing, and I'm very curious." Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, thanks for having me. It's it's cool to connect with folks in Portland. Um, I've lived here for ten years now, and I'm actually about to leave. So that's it's a this is a nice send off. Um, Group Golf Therapy is a is a podcast that I host with uh, my two work husbands, as I affectionately call them, uh, Bradford Wilson and Drew Westfall. The three of us are creators in the golf space. Um, I'm a writer. Um, I do public relations consulting, marketing consulting, content marketing, things like that. Brad is an actor and a beautiful model, uh, and Drew is also a uh, a model and a, a social media manager by day. Um, the three of us got connected just through social media. Just, um, you know, I think the three of us were witnessing this sort of cultural sea change that's happening in golf right now. Um, and not really seeing a lot of content out there about the intersection of golf and mental health and emotional health. And it's, it's something that the three of us are on our individual personal journeys on constantly, just day to day lives. Um, but it's not something that we've seen really infused within the game of golf um and i guess you know on a more broader scale open conversations in the game of golf haven't really been had it's it's been a pretty traditionally closed off culture um and so the three of us have like i said really raw open conversations with guests with each other about how golf makes you feel we like to say that we're a mental health podcast disguised as a golf podcast. So it's our, you know, golf is our Trojan horse for conversations about mental health and specifically, you know, how, how men use golf as a means of therapy specifically. Um, you know, that's a, that's a conversation that, that gets overlooked quite a bit. Dude, that is fucking awesome. Like that is, uh, that's very, I, I mean, I don't, I'm actually kind of blown away by your description of what you do. I think that it's important oh, that's cool. that, yeah, I think that it's important that, uh, you know, being men that we're able to kind of discuss our feelings. And um, I don't I really, I hate the word toxic masculinity, so I'm never going to use it again. But like, it is important to have, you know, male bonding and time with your your friends and, and also be able to be vulnerable. And I, and I hope that, if you're listening to this, like, I hope that you have that. I truly do because I have some of the best friends in the world that have helped me through some really rough times, man. And, um, I got, I got a few questions. Like we're going to off topic cause I'm super curious. Where are you moving to? Yeah. So my girlfriend and I are taking off of Portland, taking off from Portland, December 1st, we're going on a big road trip out East. Uh, we're going to settle in New York for a few months and Whoa. then London is the ultimate game plan. 
Like you got a you got a flat in London or like what what's taking you over there? This is fascinating. We have absolutely nothing planned, nothing booked. Everything is up in the air. We're just itching for an escape and a new change. Um, I'm British by background. My my whole family lives over there, and um, I have British citizenship. So we figured we might as well take advantage of that as an as an opportunity to try something new. Yeah, dude. Yeah, we're uh, uncovering a bunch of worms here. This is all. I, how long did you? How long did you live in uh, in uh, the UK for? So I've never lived in the UK, and that's actually oh. a, a big reason that we want to do it. Is just to be closer to family, morbidly, while they're still around, and mm-hmm. while yep. I can still connect with them and travel across the UK and into Europe and things like that. So, yeah, it's. Um, you know, personally, I'm feeling all of all of the range of things right now about leaving. It's it's bittersweet. It's anxious. It's exciting. It's um, it's all of that. Yeah, man. I it, change is very important. It's part of it's part of growth, man. It's it being uncomfortable, getting out of your comfort zone. Like I'm assuming that this this region is home for you. It's comfortable, but the fact that you're willing to step outside of your comfort zone. And and not necessarily have a plenty of a tentative, a, a, you know, idea for what you want to do is very uncomfortable, and you're going to grow and learn from that experience. Um, super jealous that you have dual citizenship. This is a John and I have discussed this at length. Um, I want to get I want to get that second paper, man. So uh, funny story. I've looked into this obsessively. There is a program in Ghana called the Coming Home Project, and wow. It is for uh, people of Ghanaian descent, and I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I'm of Ghanaian descent, but uh-huh. I could be allegedly. And yeah. you can. Um, I mean, the, the the stipulations are like you have to have a parent, or maybe know someone, or some, some, like you have to have family, right? Bloodline right. Um, to to get this. But in my fear, maybe if I spread enough cash around, they'd be able to to. Uh, to, to grant me one. You can also get a Panamanian yeah, member. a few palms, see what happens. Dude, that's what I'm trying to do, baby. Uh, but there's, you can also get a Panamanian uh, passport. It used to be, I believe, it was four, five Gs in a bank account wow. um, for two years, and then you could apply for residency. You didn't have to live there. And then once you got your residency, you could then apply for a passport or citizenship. It's not $5,000. I think it's closer to like forty. You can also buy, uh, I think it's, in one of the Caribbean islands, like 150k in, in investment, you can uh, get citizenship that way. Wow. And in Ireland, it's like 1.2 mil. There's several co- um, countries you can do it. What's up, John? Oh, I was just going to add. Uh, there's what is it? New Zealand is essentially giving away passports that if you have, I think even if you have a college degree and you agree to go w- like work there, live there for five years, they'll give you citizenship. And I think if you don't have a college degree, it's like 10 and they'll give you citizenship. Like Whoa. no questions asked. Well, pull that up, dude. I don't believe yeah, it. Yeah, because I know that they're having a New Zealand. I don't know about Australia, but no, New Zealand is having like a birth rate issue, I think. Dude, pull wow. that shit up. Dude, that pull, up. pull that up. I don't know. I don't know if I believe you. That sounds, I would have found that. I, I hope you're right though. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, man, that's uh, that's that's cool. So what? I mean, you connected with with your homies um, yes. through social. But what was it that like? How did this conversation start? Yeah, it's um, truth be told, I don't know. We, uh, we it was sort of a process of of months, really that that led us to where we are where we are right now. Um, 
you know, like I said, we're, we're all three of us are creators in the golf world, um, which is a really small community. It's um, specifically the community of creators that are interested and uh, find value in mm-hmm. capitalizing on this cultural sea change, as I put it earlier, that's happening in golf of breaking down barriers, um, of making golf more accessible, more diverse, um, both in terms of who's playing the game and also the school of thought around what you can wear, what music you can listen to, how you play, what types of courses are being built, all of those things. Um, so we just we noticed each other uh, in the space operating under very similar pretense and having very similar conversations. And it started as a group text, pivoted to an Instagram live, and and here we are 20 something episodes deep into a podcast and branching out now into um, video content, which we've recorded some already of and traveling and doing events together and things like that. So it's really taken off pretty quickly. Wow, man! I, I would. What's up, John? Oh, I uh, so I found the the requirements for New Zealand. Uh, you have to intend to live in New Zealand, and you have to spend five years living there. And as long as you don't have a hundred demerit points on your driver's license, or basically have been to prison in the last seven years, or be, ever been convicted of a violent crime, five years uh, resident status, and you can be a citizen of New Zealand. Wow! Fantastic. I did not know that at all. Get on Thank that. You. Thank you, John. Um, but that's uh, that's intense, man. It, it seems like you're having like rapid growth. So there is like a need for this 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 podcast, this this space that you're creating. Um, go ahead. Yeah, I, I you know I think it's really strange. Golf is is experiencing one of the biggest booms. Um, that the sport has seen since 1997 when Tiger Woods came on the scene and you know, like just millions of people flooded the game because in, in 97, when they saw this guy come in, um, you know, a a black man come into the sport, which was before that, like very much swept under the rug. Um, Tiger came in and changed the game. Um, and now you look, you look at the, the growth of golf and you can attribute pretty much all of it to the pandemic, which is, loaded and interesting you know at the beginning of 2020 um there were 63 million golfers worldwide as of today there are 65 million golfers in the world whoa that's a huge increase in the last 18 months or so and you can attribute that pretty much all to the pandemic while we were under lockdown while the uk was under lockdown golf was one of the only things that you could do to go outside socialize with people um you know, and, and people would get together outside, play golf together. But, but now you have people coming to the sport and saying, hang on, why do I have to wear those corny clothes in order to play this game? Why, why do I need to play with no music on, you know, things like that. And, and that's sort of changing the way that we're experiencing golf culture. Um, so this growth is forcing the capital G golf, as we like to say, to lower its barriers of entry. Um, it's, it's changing the way that clothing brands are approaching the game. Uh, equipment manufacturers are approaching the game. So the whole, the whole game is changing. The whole industry is changing. And that's, I think, thanks in part to a, a, a terrible set of world events in the pandemic, but also a larger conversation that's happening between creators in the space of thinkers in the space, um, people who are eager to see the, the game grow. 
Do you think that they should change the way that they dress? Um, and and as like just for our listeners and for people that are ignorant, kind of explain what the attire is that you need to wear when you're golfing. Um, if you look on the professional level, I would say dumpy chic, something like that. <laughs> um, you know, equipment, clothing manufacturers uh, at the biggest level, your Adidas is your Nikes, um, Ralph Lauren. They want you to believe that you need performance enhancing material in order to, to play the game comfortably. That means collared shirts made of, you know, Nike dry fit sweat, uh, moisture wicking fabrics and things like that. That's just not true necessarily. And it also removes a lot of personal style from the game. Um, and so myself and, and my co-host Drew and Brad and other friends of mine in the industry are saying, you know, we don't need to like compromise our personal style ethics to play golf. Like that's just not, it's just ridiculous. So, and on top of that, let's buck the sort of like, fashion industrial complex complex that has been put onto golf by equipment manufacturers and apparel manufacturers. So that has, that has birthed a ton of smaller brands that are coming up that fashion themselves much like streetwear companies or menswear companies that are actually catching up or, or closing the gap between, you know, regular streetwear fashion and, and the golf industry, which always seems to be about 10 years behind. <laughs> yeah dude yeah i mean to be honest i think i played like one game of golf and um, i'm assuming you grew up you grew up playing the game like i mean my next Not question would be like, really so how did I, you, how did you find get find the game of golf i'm a golf accident um i grew up uh in boston in the boston area um no one in my family played golf growing up um it was you know, and I, I didn't grow up with a lot of money. So I, I, in a lot of ways, I resented what I thought golf was and what golf culture was. Um, when I was 16, I started caddying at a, at a local pretty fancy country club. So carrying bags of players who belong to this country club for money, for cash. Um, basically I saw college debt looming over me in the future. And I was thinking, here's a good way to get cash and, and, you know, meet some people and maybe do some networking and things like that. Yep. And in that process, I was exposed to a completely different side of golf than I had seen before. I like to say the Caddyshack is the cultural underbelly to golf culture that, that you typically see. It's, you know, it's really like salty characters who are chain smoking cigarettes and, um, you know, blowing lines of cocaine off the ping pong table <laughs> in the back and getting up, getting up to all sorts of shenanigans that I was, you know, I was blown away by obviously as a 16 year old, very interested, um, in, in the, in the, in the deviant behavior, um, <laughs> exhibited in front of me. But I was also, you know, taken by the way that they engaged with the game of golf too it wasn't a country club to them. It was a, a practice facility and it was a place where they could, you know, chip around and put around and play as a, an eight sum instead of a foursome and blast music and play wearing tank tops and flip flops and shirtless. And, and that exposed me to a side of the game of golf that I'd never seen before. And I was immediately hooked, instantly hooked. Um, and that 
seeing that culture for the first time when I was 16 infused in me this, this love of what could be for the entire culture of golf, that it, it doesn't need to be this one thing that I've, I had previously perceived it to be. Um, and so it was my mission then to, to let people in on that secret as well. Dude, that's, that's amazing. That, that is amazing. So you, you found the game when you were 16 years old caddying for cash which by the way for a 16 year old you probably got some pretty nice tips you know i always thought about that wasn't bad it was good the good the good move on your part right there i was my my dumb ass was working at safeway at that time just (laughs) don't do that kids don't do it i'll tell you what here like any any young kid in high school should get into caddying even if you don't give a shit about golf it's all cash it's all under the table no taxable income um, and you know, I could, I could buy weed with cash. So that was great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, you figured it out. Good on you. Good on you. Um, speaking of like, so you weren't, you weren't, did, did, do you think Tiger kind of had an impact on you seeking that out when you were 16 or was this kind of mm-hmm. by still by chance? Do you think there was any, I mean, I certainly knew uh, who Tiger was when I was 16 and I, I, I understood his impact on the game, but I, at the time and still to this day, don't really give a shit about professional golf. It's, it's not what, let me rephrase that. I don't really give a shit about men's professional golf, women's professional golf, all support till the cows come home. Um, but men's professional golf, um, I'm yet to be wowed by the characters that I see on the PGA tour specifically. Um, I think there's m- far more interest specifically as, you know, coming from a, a writer's perspective, um, far more interest in the, the, the seedy underbelly that I described earlier in the Caddyshack and, um, people who play at municipal golf courses and, um, people who just are, are in, are into golf for the hang rather than for the competition. It, you're, this is very interesting to me. So, I mean, I guess the next question is like, what do you write about, right? You write about golf and, and I'm, I'm assuming that the LPGA, correct? I write, I read some about the LPGA, but, um, mostly I write about caddies, about caddy stories from the perspective of a caddy as a former caddy. Um, and you know, those, those types of stories until recently haven't really been told. Um, you know, before, before I got into golf writing, um, a lot of the material that you would see was about what clubs is this professional playing and, um, take a look at Dustin Johnson's wife, who's a professional golf player, golfer. Um, but that's not really a story to me. Um, so I'm, I'm interested in characters. I'm interested in, in people and where they come from and why they're playing golf in the first place. Um, so yeah, what I, what I typically try to focus on in my writing is stories about people who are actually changing the game of golf for the better, um, through their various interests, golf course architects and designers, um, and caddies. Where, where, where can I find your writing at? Oh man. Um, so I have a website, thebagbandit.com. Um, and then I'm also uh, featured in a different different publications online. Randomgolfclub.com is one. The Fried Egg uh, is another. Um, and yeah, sort of all over the place. 
I'm really curious to, you know, kind of read your, your work. Like yeah, from, I'll, send, I'll, I'll send some along after this. Yeah. We're, we'll, yeah, please do. Cause I mean, as a, someone that pretends to be a writer, um, generally for a while there, I, I did a, uh, like a 75 hard and I would write, I, I need to get back into this. I, I, I've been telling John this for months now. Um, but I used to write what <laughs> I would call like a Sunday sermon for the Church of the Chubby, right? Like I was just is it's and it's still a, it's still affiliated with my you know my website, right? It's a little a, a second page there. But like I, I would just I would write down everything I ate and just really what I was what I was feeling that day and like one of the things i came up with is like you're the captain of your your own spaceship like you are the solution to all of your problems and those are like some of the things i do miss like flushing out ideas and and stories and and just like putting something down i would say like on a a paper, but that's bullshit. It was on like a word document, but you know, I just miss, I I miss, it's, it's very intriguing. I don't, I don't know of a lot of people that do write. And I mean, I write just about every day. I have a form with some friends we've been keeping for, I don't, Jesus, like five years now. It's over, I think 750 pages of just like, just like an online journal um, or like a, a document that we share together and we each write. Like, so I, it's just, I don't, I don't really, it's not every day that I get to talk to someone that likes to write. So, um, yeah, well, I, I mean, I would even hesitate to say that I like to write. It's almost more of a catharsis. If anything, it's, it's, um, and I'm happy to hear that you do that every day. I don't write every day. I wish I did. Um, but when I do, it feels therapeutic. It feels like I'm getting something out that needs to come out, be it a, a short story or an article or a poem or a song, whatever it might be. Um, I think there's beauty and release and catharsis in spilling your thoughts onto a piece of paper or a word document. I think so too. I, I find the same thing. I, I find that like, if I'm not writing in the form, then my, my homies know what's up. They know that something's going on and that mm-hmm. I might, there might be some level of shame, right? Because I'm not like writing about, and one of the rules that we came up with when we started this years ago was like, it doesn't matter if you just write one thing, you need to write something like as often as you can. Right. And so when we don't post everyone that's a member knows me not doing very good. I might (laughs) need to call them. I might need to see what's up. And, and then when you get back on there, and you write something, you you just, you, you know, you lay your soul out. I'm like, yeah, I was fucking up. I was watching too much TV. I was doing this. I was doing that. Whatever it is. Um, it, so you, you you do write short stories and you, do you like interview people? Like kind of, I guess I'm really curious as to what, you know, what you're writing about within this golf world. Yeah, it's, um, you know, and, and I should say recently writing has taken a backseat because other things have come up that have occupied time. And for me, writing has always been something that I get to do. Um, and you know, with the admin of the group golf therapy podcast that we're, we're talking about tonight, um, you know, that it, it takes a lot of time. And, and I think the, th- the three of us that host that podcast are really open about the, a, the act of creation, of creating content, I, I whatever, but 
that that process and then also like how much that actually requires of you in terms of time and emotional labor and things like that um so admittedly writing has not been in the past month or so um a big focus of mine and that's something that i i really hope to get back into my life and reclaim in the next short period of time um having said that I love to do interviews with people. I love I love doing what we're doing right now and talking um, about interesting topics and and things that get the wheels turning. Um, I love interviews. I love writing little poems that never make it to the light of day. I, I like you know it's with for me it started with music. I loved writing songs when I was younger and playing music and things like that and um, you know all the way down to short screenplays and things like that. So for me, it, it it's the process more than it is the product. I think, um, like I said, it's, it's a cathartic activity for me. Um, and I've, I've just, uh, I've been sort of a word geek for my whole life. So it's, it's fun. Yeah, man, I'm, I can relate. I definitely can relate on being a, a bit of a word geek. Um, and, I, so on, during your podcast, are you typically like interviewing people or is it just you and your, the homies getting on there and kind of chopping it up? Yeah. So we have, uh, it's, it's a mixture of both. We, like I said, I think we've released 22 episodes at this point and I think 25% of them are the three of us just sort of checking in with each other and either responding to listener questions or just coming in with an intention and a prompt but that the three of us agree on ahead of time. Um, and then the other part of it is, you know, the 75% is interviewing guests who are somewhat related to the golf space. We've been really fortunate with the guests that we've had thus far. Um, professional golfers, really prominent creators in the space, um, writers as well, uh, filmmakers, people who have some connection to the world of golf. We invite them into our our therapist couch and, um, you know, have just a really open conversation about how they're doing and let them sort of dictate the topics that we roll through that day. That's, that is, that is, is, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm a fan. I'm in, I'm, I'm definitely subscribing after this. This, uh, this is, it's a very interesting concept. It's, um, I think it's pretty unique, man. Like I, 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 the first thing I like is that you said was, ask them how they're doing, you know, like, and seeing if you can help, right. Or, or, or I, I think that's a very good, good thing. And it's something that we're lacking. Like, um, I just had a conversation about this. We always say, like, how are you? But I mean, how many of us really, really mean that? I think right. not enough people really mean those words. Yeah. And most of the time you're going to get a one word response back, right? Good. I'm yeah. fine. Um, but we mean it, and and I think the people that come onto our show know that we mean it. Um, I should also I should also preface everything, or I guess suffice everything that I'm saying. None of us are mental health professionals. That's that's not the the premise of the podcast. We're not coming in saying, "Here, sit down. We're going to solve all of your issues for you." Mm-hmm. Um, but we are really curious. We ask a lot of questions and. Most importantly, I think we're on our own individual journeys with with mental health. And I think it should be understood that mental health is not always mental illness or yes. suffering or pain. It's more nuanced than that. It's it's something that's a little more 
nebulous and and harder to define sometimes. So I think the goal of what we're trying to do is illustrate those nuances and share with people that it's okay to talk about how you're doing and it doesn't necessarily need to be in um, such... Uh, such big terms as depression and anxiety and OCD and the, the, the big three sort of mental illnesses that stand out to a lot of us. Um, It's, it's deeper than that. And I think can be more nuanced than that. Definitely. I definitely agree with that um, statement. Uh, Some part of me and I, I took Instagram, like I removed it from my phone. I just Mm. had to kind of, I just, I don't know. I just figured I was spending too much time on there. Um, I do sometimes feel like the term, not necessarily mental health, but like you know, depression, mental illness, right? Like I mm-hmm. sometimes feel like it's it's hip and it's cool right now, and sometimes mm-hmm. I feel like that that like it, it's it might be trendy. Um, I definitely not denying that it exists or, or anything of that nature, but like I, I do think that in this world that we're living in, there's not enough of this. There's not enough dialogue. There's not enough like uh, caring people. And I feel like if a lot more people had that or had access to it, I think that some of these problems potentially would go away or, or, you know, maybe change your, I don't know. This is like a generalized craziness or or like not generalized craziness, but this is just my, my, my own personal theory, which I'm told could be wrong, but I definitely, I I like where you're, I like the message. I like, like the thought process because there needs to be more, there needs to be more sh- stuff like that. There needs, I think that there definitely needs to be more stuff like that in the world, you know, and, and you tying those two areas together. I think, I don't know, man, I'm, I'm actually pretty blown away. I think that's very awesome and um, intriguing. Um, d- now, I, the reason you call it golf therapy, is that because you and, and, and the crew were you guys do dealing with stuff when you were creating this, you yeah, were you all I mean, going through something. Well, I, I think that's, that's sort of what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that um, we're all going through things all the time. You know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily have implications of I'm depressed right now. Therefore I'm a, I identify as a depressed person. You know, I think mental health is purposefully a really generalized term, a really general term. It's something that, we all have relationships with our mental health and we all have a journey with our mental health and we all have good days and bad days. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of a tough question to answer. I think we're going, we're always going through things, the three of us, and we're, we're really open about, you know, days that we're feeling anxious or, or days we're feeling low and, and days that we're feeling a lot of joy as well. And I think that's something that we try to bring into our, our podcast sessions every single time we get on the microphone is joy and, and beauty as well. It's, it's not just the lows and it's not just the highs. It's, it's all of it all at once. And I think that's what we hope to illustrate to people is that it's, it's a nebulous, again, I I use that word nebulous and nuanced conversation that floats all over the place. And it's, um, so yeah, yeah, we're, we're always going through stuff. One of the hardest things for me, in, like in life, right, is I get such high highs. And generally speaking, it always is going to be fall by low. And you have to have the lows 
because it wouldn't yeah. make, you know, if you only had highs, like, you know, you'd probably get bored. Right. But I, 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 and I've wrote this down countless times. Like I'm, you know, I'm flying so high. The spaceship is moving so well. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't ever want this. I don't ever want to lose this, whether I'm like super disciplined at the time or whatnot. But recently, like, I feel like my, my entire life is, has been is like, how do I have more highs and sustain mm-hmm. them longer? Where, mm-hmm. you know, in my twenties, I would have, you know, it was, it was up, down, up, down. And then, mm-hmm. you know, as I got to my later twenties, there's a lot more ups fall by a little down. And, and like yeah. now I've just entered, just turned 30. I'm an old man. Uh, I'm, I'm very focused on like finding that balance between being hyper disciplined and, you know, maintaining these highs and trying to mitigate and, you know, hopefully at some point pretty damn near eliminate the low days. But yeah, I haven't figured that out yet. <laughs> That's something I'm working yeah. on. And, and also I, um, First of all, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, and I also, I would caution you of, uh, from eliminating all of the low days because, you know, what's that quote? Like, you don't know, you don't know joy without a little pain. And, yeah. and I think, you know, I, I believe in that to a degree. Like, obviously you want to, you want to feel good most of the time. That's a good goal to have. Um, but I think it's also, it's a really human condition to not feel great all of the time. And I think, what we try to communicate on the podcast is to, to embrace that, to lean into that and, and allow yourself to feel some of those moments as well. So yeah, I, I, I commend your journey, but I also wouldn't, um, you know, don't, don't wish away the, the breadth of emotions that you feel. I think that's fair. I definitely think that's fair. I just, I my you know, the issue is it's, it's not so much that, I guess this is this is a, kind of a big thought I'm trying to put it, put it into words. I I I never liked feeling like when I'm down, I know that I there's it's like sometimes I thought it was a it's a choice, right? Like sometimes I and mm-hmm. I do believe this. Sometimes I think you can choose to stay down. And I've, and I've through, through my life or through my short existence, I've realized if I'm working out and I'm eating correctly and I, you know, I have a bit of a routine in that, in that section, I generally don't have very many bad days. Right. And I mm-hmm. think that that's, a, you know, attributed to this, this 75 hard that I've done. And then I did like a, you know, and, and I'm not drinking all that much. Right. Like during mm-hmm. those that little uh, fitness challenge. There's, there's no booze, right? Th- this That's when I yeah. feel like I'm running peak performance. Mm-hmm. And when I come off of those, like the, the first time I ended this, I threw a big party, right? And it was awesome. But that was my mistake because I rewarded myself and confused my brain, right? With like, oh, so we're done with that. Like, And then the next time I did it, I didn't do that. So mm. there was no reward. I'm like, this is your lifestyle, this is for however long you can work out twice a day and, you know, eat clean. Like this is just what you do now. Um, and I don't know. A few, That's few really interesting. Later. Yeah. So I think that, you know, it's, 
I, I, I feel like, you know, delayed gratification, right? And I think that that's a, a, a tool. Um, but I'm trying to, at all times, I'm trying to optimize my life. I'm trying to be mm. rigid and disciplined and, and, and like efficient. And yeah, that's what I'm trying to do now. I'm not a hundred percent sure that's me. I'm not like a Jocko Willink or David Goggins. I, I definitely love those guys. They're very inspired, but I'm not them. I'm not a fucking Navy SEAL. I'm not a psychopath. So there, there has to be some <laughs> lounging days for this guy and, and some, um, because I, for some reason wasn't able to attain that, you know, for, I've, sure. I've attained it for long periods of time, but I always, yeah. at some point I'll be like, yeah, I want to go party, you know? So, and then I get down if I do something like that, you know, it's, 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 it's a process, man. Yeah, man, it, it is a process and it's, it's entirely personal. And I, I, um, it's just all about finding out what works best for you, um, yeah. to maintain a, a, a state that you feel good in. Um, and for me and for, uh, for Brad and Drew, um, you know, golf has played a huge role in, in our therapy. It's our, it's our walk outside. It's our, um, you, you see, you, golf gives you a mirror, I think in a lot of ways, it, it makes you face yourself, um, how you respond to failure, how you celebrate success, um, what you're like in small social groups. Um, and so that's why we're, we're sort of, I guess, beckoning golf onto people. I love it. What's up, John? Uh, I just thought I'd add to, you know, add to the conversation. Um, I appreciate what you're doing. Um, you know, <laughs> thank you. Mental health is incredibly important. And I think finally people are starting to take, you know, take account of that and, and learn that it is not, like you said, it's not just pain. It's just, it's basically just maintenance of your brain. Um, yeah. And like, you know, I, I'm very athletic. I, my family is a very athletic family. I come from that background hmm. and, you know, like Rick has said, exercising is, you know, fantastic for your mental health but it's also interesting too you know uh using golf as a literally just the game of golf as a distraction for your brain to focus on something else to pull yourself out of whatever the hell you're dealing with or whatever you're trying to get through and you know that's sometimes the most valuable thing you can do hell yeah just yeah give yourself a distraction and and that's what i keep going back to is that it's it's so subjective and it's an entirely individualized and and personal for some people golf is not therapy for some people golf is agony and and (laughs) um and and frustrating and um but for me it's therapeutic and and the point is with golf it's an individual game so cherish that and i think um you know the, the three of us have a lot of issues with people being evangelical about the way that golf should fit into your life. And so that's why, that's why we're here is to, is to give people an opportunity to, uh, to enjoy the game in their own way. Well, you can learn a lot of things from, um, sports. And I mean, if you, if you think about the health benefits of golf, you're walking around, yeah. you're, so you're being physically, you're outside, most golf courses, in my opinion, are pretty beautiful. Yeah. So you're gonna that's definitely gonna elevate your spirits, just breathing that fresh air, smelling yeah. the grass, you know, until you get in a in a bunker and then you're fucked. No. <laughs> uh, I can't chip <laughs> and then to you save just my throw life. Throw it dude. out. Yeah. Yeah. But then you just yeah. throw it out and no one gives a shit. 
Yeah, 100%, man. I mean, I've learned a lot of lessons from this. There's this hill by my house. It's called the Death Hill. And um, I, that's not what it's called. That's what I call it. It's, it's, it's like a 12% say, grade. Like, do I need to check Google Maps right now? No, no, no. Uh, it's like a 12% grade, dude. It's, it's awful. And um, that hill's taught me so many lessons about perseverance and chipping away like I, i'm not i'm a bi- i'm a pretty pretty big guy got a lot of a lot of mass and uh-huh. r- running i'm not a runner i've got friends that you know run marathons it's just not me but this hill the first thing it taught like is i thought i was hardcore i was going to run it the first time well i started walking it because i was, used to be pretty obese right and hmm. so I started walking the hill first and then like eventually uh, someone from Snap was snapping it. They're like, "Why don't you try running?" I was like, "Fuck you, I will." And I thought I was going to run up that that thing, and I failed miserably, and I kept failing. But each day I would get a little bit farther, yeah. and then finally uh, I kind of hit this limit to where I couldn't. I I just was stuck, stagnated. So I slowed down my pace a little bit, and then yeah. I was able to run up that thing. And it's just like it, it's that hell's always going to be there. And one day I'll be able, you know, my, my thing was like, one day I'll be able to conquer this. And when I did conquer right. that, which is, it felt great. There was nothing like it. It was amazing. Yeah. Um, and so I, I definitely am with that. Like um, golf as a, as a therapeutic endeavor. Um, it's not how I use it, but I, I, I generally play with the boys and there is definitely some beers involved. hundred yeah, percent of and, the time. But like, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's your therapy too. The The point is just do it your own way and whatever you get out of it, that's, that's good and treat it as such. I think, I don't know. It's, it's a concept that we're constantly working through and, uh, is, is ever changing, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. man. I, I get it. I get it. And so you, what, what brought about your interest mainly in the LPGA? Like what, what interests you in that? Uh, supporting women. Um, <laughs> I think honestly, like first, first and foremost, like I think, like I alluded to before, I think golf um, traditionally has supported men, uh, specifically white men, cisgendered straight white men fill in all of those fucking blanks more than anyone else. And, and the storylines that I see on the LPGA tour, which is the women's major professional tour in the United States are so much more interesting to me. Um, and it's also, you know, like Portland gets, uh, an LPGA tour event here every year. And so that was, a a really amazing opportunity for me to go and, um, help craft some of the storylines about the tournament coming back to Portland again and again and again. Um, some of the best worlds, you know, the world's best golfers come to our city and that's a, that's a really beautiful thing. And, um, I'm sure both of y'all know this just as well as anyone. Portland supports professional athletes and specifically supports women's professional athletes. I mean, you go to a thorns game and that motherfucker is packed, you know, like, and, and so, it, it was a real honor to be involved in that tournament. I was the, the um, media and PR director for the week. And um, it was just, it was such a joy to get such close FaceTime with those athletes and 
see how much goes into producing an event like that. Um, and then also again, yeah, just to, just to support women's golf at the highest level. Um, it's, I, I want to see more of it in our, uh, in our field and, and, you know, the, the main media outlets in golf don't do a good enough job promoting the women's game. Um, so that was my goal to, to help paint that picture. Fuck yeah, man. That's awesome. That is awesome. And I'm, I'm pretty ignorant of, of both the LPGA and the PGA, but, um, from what our mutual friend stated, it was incredible. And, uh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. She, she had a good time. She had a great time. She had a, she had a, a fantastic time there. And, well, man, um, I want to be respectful of your time. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, let, let people know where they can find you again. Yeah. So, um, my podcast is called group golf therapy. Um, me and my two hosts, uh, Bradford Wilson and Drew Westfall host that thing. We're branching into video content as well and events. And, um, when, when is this going to air? Do you know? Yeah, it's going to air next week. Okay, cool. So um, one thing that I'm really excited to announce that will be live by the time that this drops is uh, Group Golf Therapy is releasing a an artist's collaboration series um, this Friday. Um, so it will be last Friday by the, by the time this is heard in which we've partnered with three graphic artists um, who, who make logos and designs in the golf space. Um, and we'll be putting those on sale um, to raise money for mental health organizations um, across the country. So all proceeds, all profits will be donated to those organizations. There's three prints that we're going to be selling um, that'll be you know framed and printed and people can hang them in their houses and it's just a a really fun um, and meaningful and impactful sort of holiday initiative that we're trying to do this year um, to showcase some, some really powerful and impactful mental health organizations, but also give these artists some love and, and also showcase that we're not just a, you know, just, just the podcast. We're doing other things as well and, and building and growing. Fantastic. You heard it here first folks. Well, Connor, it's a pleasure, man. I'm definitely going to have you on again. Um, and uh, I wish you I wish you all the best, man, in all your endeavors. And I hope that you guys raise a bunch of money. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. This was fun. Yeah, man. Fuck yeah. All right, folks. You heard it here. Thanks for listening. Love you guys. Dude, that was fucking awesome.